Chapter Nine, Part One of *The Lion's Skin* by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Champion. Mister Carroll was well and handsomely housed, as became the man of fashion, in the lodging he had taken in Old Palace Yard. Knowing him from abroad, it was not impossible that the government fearful of sedition since the disturbance caused by the south sea distress and aware of an undercurrent of jacobitism might for a time at least keep an eye upon him it behooved him therefore to appear neither more nor less than a lounger a gentleman of pleasure who had come to london in quest of diversion to support this appearance mr carroll had sought out some friends of his in town there were stapleton and collis who had been at oxford with him and with whom he had ever since maintained a correspondence and a friendship he sought them out on the very evening of his arrival after his interview with lord ostermore he had the satisfaction of being handsomely welcomed by them and was plunged under their guidance into the gaieties that the town afforded liberally for people of quality mr carroll was as i hope you have gathered an agreeable fellow very free moreover with the contents of his well-equipped purse and so you may conceive that the town showed him a very friendly cordial countenance he fell into the habits of the men whose company he frequented his days were as idle as theirs and spent at the parade the ring the play the coffee-house and the ordinary but under the gay exterior he affected he carried a spirit of most vile unrest the anger which had prompted his impulse to execute after all the business on which he was come and to deliver his father the letter that was to work his ruin was all spent he had cooled and cool it was idle for him to tell himself that lord ostermore by his heartless allusion to the crime of his early years had proved himself worthy of nothing but the pit mr carroll had been sent to dig for him there were moments when he sought to compel himself so to think to steel himself against all other considerations but it was idle the reflection that the task before him was unnatural came ever to revolt him to gain ease the most that he could do and he had the faculty of it developed in a preternatural degree was to put the business from him for the time endeavor to forget it and he had another matter to consider and to plague him the matter of hortensia winthrop he thought of her a great deal more than was good for his peace of mind for all that he pretended to a gladness that things were as they were each morning that he lounged at the parade in st james park each evening that he visited the ring it was in the hope of catching some glimpse of her among the fashionable women that went abroad to see and to be seen and on the third morning after his arrival the thing he hoped for came to pass it had happened that my lady had ordered her carriage that morning dressed herself with the habitual splendour which but set off the shortcomings of her lean and angular person egregiously coiffed pulvilled and top-knotted 
and she had sent a message amounting to a command to mistress winthrop that she should drive in the park with her poor hortensia whose one desire was to hide her face from the town's uncharitable sight just then fearing indeed that rumour's unscrupulous tongue would be as busy about her reputation as her ladyship had represented attempted to assert herself by refusing to obey the command it was in vain her ladyship dispensed with ambassadors and went in person to convey her orders to her husband's ward and to enforce them what's this i am told quoth she as she sailed into hortensia's room do my wishes count for nothing that you send me pert answers by my woman hortensia rose she had been sitting by the window a book in her lap not so indeed madam not pert i trust i am none so well and i fear the sun tis little wonder <laughs> laughed her ladyship and i'm glad on it for it shows you have a conscience somewhere but tis no matter for that i am tender for your reputation mistress and i'll not have you shunning daylight like the guilty thing you know yourself to be tis false madam said hortensia with indignation your ladyship knows it to be false harkee ninny if you'd have the town believe it false you'll show yourself show that you have no cause for shame no cause to hide you from the eyes of honest folk come girl bid your woman get your hood and tip it the carriage stays for us to hortensia her ladyship's seemed after all a good argument did she hide what must the town think but that it confirmed the talk that she made no doubt was going round already better to go forth and brave it and surely it should disarm the backbiters if she showed herself in the park with lord rotherby's own mother it never occurred to her that this seeming tenderness for her reputation might be but wanton cruelty on her ladyship's part a gratifying of her spleen against the girl by setting her in the pillory of public sight to the end that she should experience the insult of supercilious glances and lips that smile with an ostentation of furtiveness a desire to put down her pride and break the spirit which my lady accounted insolent and stubborn suspecting naught of this she consented and drove out with her ladyship as she was desired to do but understanding of her ladyship's cruel motives and repentance of her own acquiescence were not long in following soon very soon she realized that anything would have been better than the ordeal she was forced to undergo it was a warm sunny morning and the park was crowded with fashionable loungers lady ostermore left her carriage at the gates and entered the enclosure on foot accompanied by hortensia and followed at a respectful distance by a footman her arrival proved something of a sensation hats were swept off to her ladyship 
sly glances flashed at her companion who went pale but apparently serene eyes looking straight before her and there was an obvious concealing of smiles at first which later grew to be all unconcealed and later still became supplemented by remarks that all might hear remarks which did not escape as they were meant not to escape her ladyship and mistress winthrop madam murmured the girl in her agony of shame we were not well advised to come will you not your ladyship turn back her ladyship displayed a vinegary smile and looked at her companion over the top of her slowly moving fan why is not pleasant here quoth she twill be more agreeable under the trees yonder the sun will not reach you there child tis not the sun i mind madam said hortensia but received no answer perforce she must pace on beside her ladyship lord rotherby came by arm in arm with his friend the duke of wharton it was a one-sided friendship lord rotherby was but one of the many of his type who furnished a court a valtaille to the gay dissolute handsome witty duke who might have been great had he not preferred his vices to his worthier parts as they went by lord rotherby bared his head and bowed as did his companion her ladyship smiled upon him but hortensia's eyes looked rigidly ahead her face a stone she heard his grace's insolent laugh as they passed on she heard his voice nowise subdued for he was a man who loved to let the world hear what he might have to say gad rotherby the wind has changed your dulcinea flies with you a wednesday and has ne'er a glance for you a saturday if faith ye deserve no better art a clumsy gallant to have been overtaken and the maids in the right on't to resent your clumsiness rotherby's reply was lost in a splutter of laughter from a group of sycophants who had overheard his grace's criticism and were but too ready to laugh at aught his grace might deign to utter her cheeks burned it was by an effort that she suppressed the tears that anger was forcing to her eyes the duke was plain had set the fashion emulators were not wanting stray words she caught by instinct was she conscious of the oglings the fluttering of fans from the women the flashing of quizzing glasses from the men and everywhere was there a suppressed laugh a stifled exclamation of surprise at her appearance in public yet not so stifled but that it reached her as it was intended that it should in the shadow of a great elm around which there was a seat a little group had gathered of which the centre was the sometime toast of the town and queen of many wells the lady mary deller still beautiful and still unwed as is so often the way of reigning toasts but already past her pristine freshness already leaning upon the support of art to maintain the endowments she had had from nature she was accounted witty by the witless and by some others 
of the group that paid its court to her and her companions two giggling cousins in their first season were mr carroll and his friends sir harry collis and mr edward stapleton the former of whom he was the lady's brother-in-law had just presented him mr carroll was dressed with even more than his ordinary magnificence he was in dove-coloured cloth his coat very richly laced with gold his waistcoat of white brocade with jewelled buttons the flower pattern outlined in finest gold thread descended midway to his knees whilst the ruffles at his wrists and the steinkirk at his throat were of the finest point he cut a figure of supremest elegance as he stood there his chestnut head slightly bowed in deference as my lady mary spoke his hat tucked under his arm his right hand outstretched beside him to rest upon the gold head of his clouded amber cane to the general he was a stranger still in town and of the sort that draws the eye and provokes inquiry lady mary the only goal of whose shallow existence was the attention of the sterner sex who loved to break hearts as a child breaks toys for the fun of seeing how they look when broken and who because of that had succeeded in breaking far fewer than she fondly imagined looked up into his face with the most prodigiously alluring eyes in england so mr crask the poet who stood at her elbow now had described them in the dedicatory sonnet of his last book of poems wherefore in parenthesis be it observed she had rewarded him with twenty guineas as he had calculated that she would there was a sudden stir in the group mr crask had caught sight of lady mostermore and mistress winthrop and he fell to giggling a flimsy handkerchief to his painted lips oh spud he bleated let me die <laughs> the audaciousness of the creature and behold me the port and glance of her cold as a vestal let me perish lady mary turned with the others to look in the direction he was pointing pointing openly with no thought of dissembling mr carroll's eyes fell upon mistress winthrop and his glance was oddly perceptive he observed those matters of which mr crask had seemed to make sardonic comment the erect stiffness of her carriage the eyes that looked neither to right nor left and the pallor of her face he observed too the complacent air with which her ladyship advanced beside her husband's ward her fan moving languidly her head nodding to her acquaintance as in supreme unconcern of the stir her coming had effected mr carroll had been dull indeed knowing what he knew had he not understood to the full the humiliation to which mistress hortensia was being of purpose set submitted and just then rotherby who had turned with wharton and another now came by them again this time he halted and his companions with him for just a moment to address his mother she turned there was an exchange of greetings in which mistress hortensia standing rigid as a stone took no part a silence fell about quizzing glasses went up 
all eyes were focused upon the group then rotherby and his friends resumed their way the dog said mr carroll between his teeth but went unheard by any for in that moment dorothy deller the younger of the lady mary's cousins gave expression to the generous and as yet unsullied little heart that was her own oh tis shameful she cried will you not go speak with her molly the lady mary stiffened she looked at the company about her with an apologetic smile i beg that you'll not heed the child said she tis not that she's without morals but without knowledge an innocent little fool no worse tis bad enough i vow laughed an old beau who sought fame as a man of a cynical turn of humour but fortunately rare said mr carroll dryly like charity almost unknown in this babylon his tone was not quite nice although perhaps the lady mary was the only one to perceive the note of challenge in it but mr craske the poet diverted attention to himself by a prolonged malicious chuckle rotherby was just moving away from his mother at the moment <laughs> they've never a word for each other to-day he cried house bud not so much as the mercy of a glance will the lady afford him and he burst into the ballad of king francis so vanfin varier bien foles qui si fier and laughed his prodigious delight at the aptness of his quotation mr carroll put up his gold-rimmed quizzing-glass and directed through that powerful weapon of offence an eye of supreme displeasure upon the singer he could not contain his rage yet from his languid tone none would have suspected it sir said he ye've a singular unpleasant voice mr craske thrown out of countenance by so much directness could only stare the same did the others though some few tittered for mr craske when all was said was held in no great esteem by the discriminant mr carroll lowered his glass i've heard it said by the uncharitable that ye were a lackey before ye became a plagiarist tis a rumour i shall contradict in future tis plainly a lie for your voice betrays you to have been a chairman sir spluttered the poetaster crimson with anger and mortification is this is this seemly between gentlemen between gentlemen it would not be seemly mr carroll agreed mr craske quivering yet controlling himself bowed stiffly i i have too much respect for myself he gasped you'll be singular in that no doubt said mr carroll and turned his shoulder upon him again mr craske appeared to make an effort at self-control again he bowed i know i hope what is due to the lady mary deller to to answer you as as befits but you shall hear from me sir you shall hear from me 
he bowed a third time a bow that took in the entire company and withdrew in high dudgeon and with a great show of dignity a pause ensued and then the lady mary reproved mr carroll oh twas cruel in you sir she cried poor mr crask and to dub him plagiarist twas the unkindest cut of all truth madam is never kind oh fie you make bad worse she cried he'll put you in the pillory of his verse for this laughed collis you'll be most scurvily lampooned for it poor mr crask sighed the lady mary again poor indeed but not in the sense to deserve pity an upstart impostor such as that to soil a lady with his criticism lady mary's brows went up you use a singular severity sir she opined and i think it unwise in you to grow so hot in the defence of a reputation whose owner has so little care for it herself mr carroll looked at her out of his level grey-green eyes a hot answer quivered on his tongue an answer that had crushed her venom for some time and had probably left him with a quarrel on his hands yet his smile as he considered her was very sweet so sweet that her ladyship guessing nothing of the bitterness it was used to cover went as near a smirk as it was possible for one so elegant he was she judged another victim ripe for immolation on the altar of her goddessship and mr carroll who had taken her measure very thoroughly seeing something of how her thoughts were running bethought him of a sweeter vengeance lady mary he cried a soft reproach in his voice i have been sore mistook in you if you are one to be guided by the rabble and he waved a hand toward the modish throng she knit her fine brows bewildered ah he cried interpreting her glance to suit his needs perish the thought indeed i knew that i could not be wrong i knew that one so peerless in all else must be peerless too in her opinions judging for herself and standing firm upon her judgment in disdain of meaner souls mere sheep to follow their bellwether she opened her mouth to speak but said nothing being too intrigued by this sudden and most sweet flattery her mere beauty had oft been praised and in terms that glowed like fire but what was that compared with this fine appreciation of her less obvious mental parts and that from one who had seen the world mr carroll was bending over her what a chance is here he was murmuring to mark your lofty detachment to show how utter is your indifference to what the common herd may think as as how she asked blinking up at him the others stood at gaze scarce yet suspecting the drift of so much talk 
there's a poor lady yonder of whose fair name a bubble is being blown and pricked i dare swear there's not a woman here durst speak to her yet what a chance for one that dared how fine a triumph would be hers he sighed hey ho i almost wish i were a woman that i might make that triumph mine and mark my superiority to these painted dolls that have neither wit nor courage the lady mary rose a faint color in her cheeks a sparkle in her fine eyes a great joy flashed into mr carroll's in quick response a joy in her she thought with ready vanity and a heightening admiration will you make it yours as it should be as it must ever be to lead and not to follow he cried flattering incredibility trembling in his voice and why not sir she demanded now thoroughly aroused why not indeed since you are you quoth he it is what i had hoped in you and yet and yet what i had almost feared to hope she frowned upon him now so excellently had he done his work why should you have feared that alas i am a man of little faith unworthy indeed your good opinion since i entertained a doubt it was a blasphemy she smiled again you acknowledge your faults with such a grace said she that we must needs forgive them and now to show you how much you need forgiveness come children she bade her cousins for whose innocence she had made apology but a moment back your arm harry she begged her brother-in-law sir harry obeyed her readily but without eagerness in his heart he cursed his friend carroll for having set her on to this mr carroll himself hung upon her other side his eyes toward lady ostermore and hortensia who whilst being observed by all were being approached by few and these few confined themselves to an exchange of greetings with her ladyship which constituted a worse offence to mistress winthrop than had they stayed away suddenly as if drawn by his ardent gaze hortensia's eyes moved at last from their forward fixity her glance met mr carroll's across the intervening space instantly he swept off his hat and bowed profoundly the action drew attention to himself all eyes were focused upon him and between many a pair there was a frown for one who should dare thus to run counter to the general attitude but there was more to follow the lady mary accepted mr carroll's salutation of hortensia as a signal she led the way promptly and the little band swept forward straight for its goal raked by the volleys from a thousand eyes under which the lady mary already began to giggle excitedly thus they reached the countess the countess standing very rigid in her amazement to receive them i hope i see your ladyship well said lady mary i hope your ladyship does answered the countess tartly mistress winthrop's eyes were lowered her cheeks were scarlet 
Her distress was plain, born of her doubt of the Lady Mary's purpose, and suspense as to what might follow. "'I have not the honour of your ward's acquaintance, Lady Ostermore,' said Lady Mary, whilst the men were bowing, and her cousins curtsying to the countess and her companion collectively. The countess gasped, recovered, and eyed the speaker without any sign of affection. "'My husband's ward, ma'am,' she corrected, in a voice that seemed to discourage further mention of Hortensia. "'Tis but a distinction,' put in Mr. Carroll suggestively. "'Indeed, yes. Will not your ladyship present me?' The countess' malevolent eyes turned a moment upon Mr. Carroll, smiling demurely at Lady Mary's elbow. In his face, as well as in the four words he had uttered, she saw that here was work of his, and he gained nothing in her favor by it. Meanwhile, there were no grounds, other than such as must have been wantonly offensive to the Lady Mary, and so not to be dreamed of upon which to refuse her request the countess braced herself and with an ill grace performed the brief ceremony of presentation mistress winthrop looked up an instant then down again it was a piteous almost a pleading glance lady mary leaving the countess to sir harry stapleton carroll and the others moved to hortensia's side for a moment she was at loss what to say, and took refuge in a commonplace. "'I have long desired the pleasure of your acquaintance,' said she. "'I am honoured, madam,' replied Hortensia, with downcast eyes, then lifting them with almost disconcerting suddenness. "'Your ladyship has chosen an odd season in which to gratify this desire with which you honour me.' Lady Mary laughed as much at the remark as for the benefit of those whose eyes were upon her she knew there would not be wanting many who would condemn her but these should be far outnumbered by those who would be lost in admiration of her daring that she could so fly in the face of public opinion and she was grateful to mr carroll for having suggested to her a course of such distinction i could have chosen no better season she replied to mark my scorn of evil tongues and backbiters colour stained hortensia's cheek again gratitude glowed in her eyes you are very noble madam she answered with flattering earnestness la said the lady mary is nobility then so easily achieved and thereafter they talked of inconsequent trifles, until Mr. Carroll moved towards them, and Lady Mary turned aside to speak to the Countess. At Mr. Carroll's approach Hortensia's eyes had been lowered again, and she made no offer to address him, as he stood there before her now, hat under arm, leaning easily upon his amber cane. "'Oh, heart of stone,' said he at last, am i not yet forgiven she misread his meaning perhaps already the suspicion she now voiced had been in her mind she looked up at him sharply was it was it you who fetched the lady mary to me she inquired 
"'Lo,' said he, "'you have a voice. "'Now heaven be praised. "'I was fearing it was lost for me, "'that you have made some awful vow "'never again to rejoice my ears "'with the music of it.' "'You have not answered my question,' "'she reminded him. "'Nor you mine,' said he. "'I asked you, "'am I not yet forgiven?' "'Forgiven what?' for being an impudent fleering coxcomb twas that you called me i think she flushed deeply if you would win forgiveness you should not remind me of the offence she answered low nay he rejoined that is to confound forgiveness with forgetfulness i want you to forgive and yet to remember that were to condone what else tis nothing less will satisfy me you expect too much she answered with a touch that was almost of sternness he shrugged and smiled whimsically it's my way he said apologetically nature has made me expectant and life whilst showing me the folly of it has not yet cured me she looked at him and repeated her earlier question was it at your bidding that lady mary came to speak with me fie he cried what insinuations do you make against her insinuations what else that she should do things at my bidding she smiled understanding you have a talent sir for crooked answers tis to conceal the rectitude of my behaviour it fails of its object then said she for it deludes no one she paused and laughed at his look of assumed blankness i am deeply beholden to you she whispered quickly breathing at once gratitude and confusion though i don't descry the cause said he twill be something to comfort me more he might have added then for the mad mood was upon him awakened by those soft brown eyes of hers but in that moment the others of that little party crowded upon them to take their leave of mistress winthrop mr carroll felt satisfied that enough had been done to curb the slander concerning hortensia but he was not long in learning how profound was his mistake on every side he continued to hear her disgust and in such terms as made his ears tingle and his hands itch to be at work in her defence for with smirks and sneers and innuendos her escapade with lord rotherby continued to furnish a topic for the town as her ladyship had sworn it would yet by what right could he espouse her cause with any one of her defamers without bringing her fair name into still more odious notoriety and meanwhile he knew that he was under strict surveillance from mr green knew that he was watched wherever he went and nothing but his confidence that no evil could be produced against him allowed him to remain as he did all unconcerned of this leduc had more than once seen mr green about old palace yard besides a couple of his underlings one or the other of whom was never absent from the place no doubt with intent to observe who came and went at mr carroll's 
once indeed during the absence of master and servant mr carroll's lodging was broken into and on leduc's return he found a confusion which told him how thoroughly the place had been ransacked if mr carroll had had anything to hide this would have given him the hint to take his precautions but as he had nothing that was in the least degree incriminating he went his ways in supremest unconcern of the vigilance exerted over him he used however a greater discretion in the resorts he frequented and if upon occasion he visited such tory meeting-places as the bell tavern in king street or the cocoa tree in pall mall he was still more often to be found at white's that ultra whig resort End of chapter nine part one